Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays. Today's episode brought to you by Ultimate Pro Baseball GM. And in today's episode, going to get you set for game one of this four-game series as the Toronto Blue Jays now in Kansas City to take on the Royals. Second segment, we're going to deep dive the good, the bad, and the ugly as far as historical battles and matchups between these two franchises. And going to close it out with one of the great stories, in my opinion, one of the underrated stories in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. You are Locked On Blue Jays. Your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Craig Ballard. I am Locked On Blue Jays, and I am thankful that you're choosing to spend part of your day talking Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. And I am also very likely every bit as disgruntled as you are, every bit as underwhelmed as you are with what we saw this past weekend from the Toronto Blue Jay baseball. Oh, my goodness. 0 for 12 in that Saturday game with men in scoring position. I mean, shades of offenses past, right, with this Blue Jay team of, of the home run or bust offenses past. That is the pretty much the reason for, for the bald head. And then whatever the heck that was from Chris Bassett on Sunday, my goodness, somehow this Toronto Blue Jay offense still looking for their first home run of the season. I mean, I, I don't help help it make sense i don't get it that was a really really ugly weekend we saw defensive miscues uh important ones too from guys that we don't normally see them from i don't know it, it was all kinds of ugly now the good news is it the road trip does continue i mean how's that good news but it continues going to kansas city so they stay in missouri but they head to the much weaker team in the state of missouri the kansas city royals the kansas city royals coming off of a 97 loss season the last time the blue jays lost that many games was all the way back in 1979 that was their third season in existence. So this Royals team is at the bottom right now, off to an 0-3 start this season. They just had their their home uh, their season opening series. It was a home opening series. They got swept by the Minnesota Twins, lost the first two games two to nothing, and then lost uh, yesterday in Sunday's uh, season uh, sorry series finale to complete the sweep. They lost seven to four. Now I will say, I mean, I guess they did they did hit two home runs yesterday, right? So I guess okay, I guess I can give them that. My goodness. Tonight's first pitch, 7.40 p.m. Eastern. Jose Barrios making his 2023 debut for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I'm going to say much anticipated debut. This was last year's opening day starter, right? We saw how his personal season went. No pitcher in baseball allowed more hit, uh, more hits, uh, more runs, had a worse ERA. But I'm going to say the Toronto Blue Jays were 24-9 and when Jose Barrios pitched. I don't, how? I don't have an explanation for it. Does he inspire his teammates? But I, I don't have an explanation for it. But if you're like me, and bottom line is that winning is the name of the game, 24-9, you can extrapolate. We can dig deeper, actually. Over the last 40 starts for Jose Barrios, the Blue Jays have won 28 of those games. I mean, that's that's extremely impressive. Put it this way, when, when Robbie Ray won a Cy Young for the Jays a couple years back, the Jays won 17-17 and 17 in games he started. And that was the year the Blue Jays missed the play-in game by one game and the playoffs by two games. Wouldn't we have traded one or two? Uh, wouldn't we have traded Robbie Ray Cy Young to get one or two of those wins, right? Like 17-17? and 17? I'm very underwhelmed by that. But the Blue Jays have been winning when Jose Barrios has been on the mound. Now, what did we see from him last season? We saw it was very much feast or famine, right? He had, what, 16 starts. It was 16 starts where he allowed two or fewer runs. That's going to work. However, the issue was that was that was the feast. There was famine. There were nine starts last season where Jose Barrios allowed five or more runs. I mean, <laughs> significantly too many. E even a few is going to wreak havoc with your numbers. Nine times he went to the mound and allowed at least five earned runs, if not more. My goodness. Wow, wow, wow. 
Uh, we saw his slurve was good last season. Uh, there were times where his slurve was great last season, but his fastball, my goodness, his fastball missed its spot time and time again. And the problem is the fastball never missed bats, did it? I mean, there were no swings and misses generated from Jose Barrios's fastball last season. Didn't really get off to a to to that good of a of a uh, of a start, wouldn't we have to be honest? In spring training, some mixed results. There wasn't horrible. Had some mixed results, I guess, but he he did have some of those blowups that, again in spring training. So, going to have to take a look at how how Barrios does tonight. Now he's a, a former Minnesota Twin, so of course with the unbalanced schedule that Minnesota's in the American League Central, that's where Kansas City plays. So he's pitched against Kansas City. He's pitched at Kauffman Stadium many times, ten times in fact. And it's not gone well. A 481 career ERA at Kauffman Stadium, huge whip at Kauffman Stadium. He's been hit in this ballpark. I'll say the glass half full. The only current Kansas City Royal who's hit a home run off him, and it was only one, was Hunter Dozier. Now, a couple batters definitely to keep an eye on in tonight's matchup that have really hit Jose Barrios well in their careers. That's second baseman Nicky Lopez, and that's DH Framel Reyes. So those are the matchups. Those would be the Craig's. Those are the Craig's key matchups that we'll have to watch tonight and, and hope that Barrios comes on comes out on top in those. Brady Singer takes the mound for Kansas City. Now, we mentioned how much losing Kansas City did last season. Brady Singer wasn't part of that. He was 10-5 and five with a 3.23 ERA. He was downright good last season. Righties get more hits against Singer. Lefties hit for more power against Singer. Uh, you won't see anything straight tonight. He really features, uh, he features a 94-mile-an-hour sinker. Uh, he'll, he'll throw a slider. He'll throw a changeup. Every now and then he'll mix in a fastball. Um, I mean, it, it's rare. As I said, we're not going to see anything straight tonight. So in this huge ballpark against Singer, do the Blue Jays get their first home run tonight? I have to think yes, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. But on paper, it, it doesn't look super promising. I'd have to say that. In the lineup, there's been some feast or famine against Singer as well. You've got a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 0 for 5 against Singer. And then a guy like Matt Chapman, 3 for 5 against against uh, Brady Singer. And Chapman, of course, uh, with six hits in that opening series at St. Louis. The only Blue Jay with a home run against a Singer is, is uh, Dalton Varshow. Now, this happened last season when he was playing uh, for Arizona, of course. And it was in this ballpark. So perhaps some cause for optimism there. Side note, I think we're going to see the Major League debut for Nathan Lucas tonight. I, I really hope we do. On paper, you, you, you might think that because Kiermaier was out yesterday that Varsho's out in this game and Kiermaier's back. I hope they find a way to get Varsho's bat in there. As I say, he's, he went deep against Singer last uh, last season. We'll have to see what John Schneider thinks about that. On the other side of this, uh, a quick word from our sponsor here. We're going to talk about uh, Deep Dive, the good, bad, and ugly as far as the historical battles and matchups between these two franchises. Before we do get into that, I just want to mention Pro Baseball GM. This is one of the cooler games I've played in a while. You know, if you've spoken to me before, if we've had this conversation, you know that I've always felt I could be a GM on the big league level, right? Well, turns out it's not that easy. So if you've ever fantasized the same sort of thing as well about managing a franchise, then download Pro Baseball GM immediately. The game allows you to manage every, every strategic aspect of a franchise, you play through the seasons, you lead your franchise and your fans to glory and build a historic dynasty. In the simulation, you're responsible for hiring the right coaches and staff, you manage the team finances, you scout and draft the players, and you manage through difficult personalities and injuries, and you navigate your franchise through free agency and all the ups and downs. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Baseball GM is completely free and playable offline, so you play on the go, play as you want to, when you want to. Locked on 
of, of the, the Locked On hosts here, Locked On Blue Jays, of course. The listeners, you get a 100% free bonus to your franchise when you use the code Locked On in the game store. So make sure to check it out. To download the game, you just visit probaseballgm.com, scan the code, or look it up at the app stores. That's probaseballgm.com, Ultimate Baseball GM. Start your dynasty today. In our middle segment today on Locked On Blue Jays, let's deep dive some good, bad, and ugly of the franchise histories between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Kansas City Royals. And of course, as per usual, we'll start with the good. And there's been a lot of good. Heck, you, you, you could say great when it comes to the Blue Jays versus the Royals in the 2000s. Yes, I know you're shouting at the screen right now. What about the 2015 playoffs? We are going to have to broach that, right? But you can imagine that's not coming in the good category. We'll, we'll get to those playoffs in a minute here. But regular season-wise... In the 2000s, the Blue Jays 94 and 66, 94 and 66 against the Kansas City Royals, complete domination. The last time the Royals actually won a season series against the Blue Jays was back in 2017. These two teams played a series on this very field, a three-game series last season. Jays taking two out of three, and those two games were beat down seven nothing and eight nothing. So things really have gone the way of the Toronto Blue Jays, especially lately when it comes to this matchup against the Kansas City Royals. How about some of the uh, traditionally great Kansas City Royals? How have they done against our Toronto Blue Jays? Well, like somebody, for example, like a Brett Saberhagen. In the 80s, Brett Saberhagen and Dave Steeb, hey, this, this was as good as it gets in, in, in all of baseball in the 80s. Saberhagen was absolutely incredible. Two-time Cy Young winner. Uh, he's in the Kansas City Royal Hall of Fame as well. But funnily enough, I know that I just make up that word, funnily enough, oddly enough, I guess is more accurate, oddly enough, Saberhagen really struggled against the Toronto Blue Jays. It was the, the team that he did the worst against in his career. One glorious, glorious moment that certainly goes in the good from Toronto Blue Jays' standpoint when it comes to comparison of these two franchises. George Bell in 1988, he's the defending American League MVP. And on opening day in 1988 in Kansas City against Brett Saberhagen, the Blue Jays win 5-3. to three. And in that game, George Bell hits not one home run against Brett Saberhagen, not two home runs against Brett Saberhagen. How about three opening day home runs against the absolute stud that was Brett Saberhagen to propel the Blue Jays to that victory? George Bell, I mean, my man, George Bell. Shout out to you if you love George Bell as well. My favorite Blue Jay ever. Also in the good category for the Blue Jays, but when it comes to this matchup with, with Kansas City, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, one of the funnest... I, I, did I make that up as well? I'm, geez, I'm just uh, making up my own vocabulary here. One of the most in, in, enjoyable athletes, there it is, one of the most enjoyable athletes ever to watch was Bo Jackson. Uh, e even if you weren't around in that era, you you know the lore of Bo Jackson. You, you know how absolutely special he was. Well, against the Toronto Blue Jays, same as Brett Saberhagen, the Jays were his career worst franchise that he ever went against. Uh, Bo Jackson played in the era, played in the time that spanned the Blue Jays playing at Exhibition Stadium and then moving into then Skydome, now Rogers Center. So he played 14 games against the Blue Jays at Exhibition Stadium. The Jays held him to a 160 average in those 14 games at Exhibition Stadium. Wow. And in the 10 games they played against Bo at then Skydome, they held Bo to a 147 batting average. I mean, domination, domination, domination. I guess Bo... Bo had all his superhuman powers taken by customs when he cried. Like, I don't know what happened there, but Bo, but the Blue Jays' complete domination against the absolute machine, the absolute pleasure that was, the absolute animal that was Bo Jackson. Now, how about some in the bad category? Talked about Kansas City studs, how they fared against the Jays in, in, in the Blue Jays' favor. Well, how about George Brett against the Toronto Blue Jays? How about that Kansas City Royal legend? My goodness. George Brett played 163 career games against the Toronto Blue Jays. 
a full season is 162, right? So this is a pretty good sample size to say, hey, this is what he, a full season of George Brett against the Jays looks like. How about a 321 batting average? My goodness. 402 on base percentage. Pardon me. Holy eye pop emoji and a 953 OPS. My goodness. Now, George Brett's a Hall of Famer, right? He dominated a lot of teams, but certainly the Blue Jays were amongst them. Wow. Again, in that sort of like one season uh, look, the 163 game look, 22 home runs, 112 RBIs. And from the actual math of it, literally almost twice as many walks as strikeouts. George Brett, <laughs> he, he was incredible. He was incredible. How about one of our own sluggers in franchise history? How about Carlos Delgado? How did, how did Carlos Delgado do against this Kansas City Royal team? Well, not good. 238 a career average against Kansas City with a 768 OPS. I mean, these are not Carlos Delgado. I call him Carlos Del Suado. These are not Carlos Del Suado numbers. So that's going in the bad category, too, when it comes to Toronto Blue Jays versus Kansas City Royals. Now we come to the ugly category. I have to take a breath for this one because this is all kinds of bad memories here. Okay, 1985, the, the Blue Jays in, have played the Kansas City Royals in the playoffs twice in franchise history. Kansas City walked away both times. First was 1985. Now, this goes in the ugly category for a few reasons. First of all, 1985 was the first season in baseball history where the American League Championship Series went from a best of five to a best of seven. So every season in baseball history in the American League Championship Series, the first team to win three games, congratulations, they advanced to the World Series. 1985, first year gets switched to best of seven. And of course, you can already see this coming. Blue Jays went up three games to one in that series. Would blow five, six, seven. We'll look at that in a second here. But in any other uh, season in baseball history, the Blue Jays would have been in the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, I mean this is going to sound easy for you to say, Craig. You've got your, your Blue Jay fan hat on here. But dare I say, they were going to beat St. Louis in that World Series. In any other season, that three game to one series lead propels the Blue Jays to the World Series. Not so fast. Hold the phone in 1985. So the Jays go up three games to one. Game five is Jimmy Key versus Danny Jackson. Danny Jackson throws a complete game gem. Kansas City wins that game 2-0. Now, side note, that is that same Danny Jackson. Yes, the Blue Jays organization would get revenge on Danny Jackson because he was the, the game three pitcher for Philadelphia in the 1993 World Series. Remember now, the Blue Jays had the, the home field advantage, the four games, four home games to Philly's three home games in that World Series. Philly won one of the first two games in Toronto, so they wrestled, they, 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 they got home field advantage Going back to game three in the World Series, which was their first home game, Blue Jays dominated Danny Jackson in that game to, to take control, to take home field advantage right back immediately. They jumped on Danny Jackson. Three runs in the first, a Paul Molitor home run in the third. They just never looked back. I think that was a 10-3 final. That was that was just an absolute beatdown. That gave the Jays the 2-1 to series lead, and they would go on, of course, to take control and win that World Series. So the Blue Jays did exact revenge on Danny Jackson. Back to 85 now. We go to game six. The, the Royals hit Doyle Alexander in game six. They hit him around a little bit. They win that game 5-3. So now we're going to a seventh and deciding game. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Seventh and deciding game. Dave Steve on the mound for the Blue Jays. It's 2-1 Kansas City in the top of the six. Two out. Base is loaded. Jim Sundberg hits a triple. I don't even want to describe it because uh, I'll, I'll start sobbing on the air here because it was so painful. Hits a basis-clearing triple. He would score later in the inning as well. So a four-run outburst for Kansas City in the top of the sixth with all with two out. Makes a 2-1 game, a 6-1 game. Kansas City would cruise the rest of the way there. And the pitching star for Kansas City in that game seven was Charlie Liebrandt, the lefty Charlie Liebrandt. Now, again, this is a scenario 
where the Blue Jays would get revenge later on because Charlie Liebrandt in 1992 was an Atlanta Brave. How did the Blue Jays close out the 92 World Series? Well, that was that game six victory, the game-winning hit at Atlanta. Game-winning hit was Dave Winfield's double. Remember that? down, Hooked that down the left field line. Two-run double. Blue Jays hang on to win that game. That two-run double and those runners were put on base and that two-run double by Winfield was hit off of Charlie Liebrand. So, so did exact some revenge on some of these guys along the way, but does very little to take away the pain, the absolute pain. And the reason this is in the ugly category, the way that 1985 ALCS turned out. Oh boy. How about 2015? I know a lot more of you were around for this one here. And, and, and man, she's, are you, is it too soon? Are you yelling at me right now? Is it too soon? It was 2015. I hope it wasn't too soon, but goodness. Kansas city takes game one, five, nothing complete domination. Uh, uh, game two, this is at Kansas City. And game two, the Blue Jays are getting right back in this series. Remember, David, that was the David Price game. He gives up the, the leadoff hit and retires 18 batters in a row. He was cruising. He was rolling. 3 nothing Blue Jays in the bottom of the seventh. They're rolling. Leadoff hitter in the bottom of the seventh, that's the one you'll remember. And, and, and you know why? If you're remembering now, you, oh, that's why this one's in the ugly category. Oh, my gosh. Bloop, a little pop-up out to, to Ryan Goins and Jose Bautista in shallow right field. Who the heck knows what happened there? Somehow they each thought the other called them off, like just all kinds of just blunders on this play. It drops in for a hit, and the floodgates open. Kansas City did what good teams do. They took full advantage of it, put together a huge rally. What was that? Like a, that, that was a, a five-run rally to take the lead. They would score again the, the next inning as well. But just as soon as, as, soon as th that lead evaporated for the Blue Jays, everything was over. Just everything snowballed. It was so, so, so ugly <laughs> now game three the final of game three it's back in toronto now was 11 to 8 so on paper it might look like a close game but really that was uh, uh kansas city scored four in the ninth to to sort of uh, you, you know the saying uh, close out on a, on, on a horse that's already home and cooled out the blue jays are already home and cooled out by this point they blue jays mashed that game that was a they had a tulo home run in there a donaldson home run in there the blue jays dominated that game so now the series is two to one Game four, wow, I feel so horrible for the, remember, game four is in Toronto. I feel terrible for the fans who looked forward to that. Mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters who worked two weeks of overtime at a job they hate just to be able to afford these playoff tickets, and they're going to game four, and they're so excited. Ari Dickey on the mound, and kaboom, 14-2 to two final for Kansas City. Pardon? 14-2. to two. Put it this way, Cliff Pennington. Toronto Blue Jay uh, utility man, he finished the game on the mound pitching for the Blue Jays. That's how ugly this one got. Side note, one incredible thing about that game, is Liam Hendricks actually pitching for the Blue Jays pitched four and a third innings in that game. One, one hit, no run. So 14 to two, and Hendricks was actually awesome. And a side note, of course, we here at Locked on Blue Jays, the entire Blue Jay fan base, right? We're, we're wishing all the best, of course, for Liam Hendricks. So that takes us to game five. Now, game five was the Blue Jays' turn for a beatdown. That was a seven to one. That was the Marco Estrada game. You'll probably remember that one fondly. Marco Estrada just completely dominated. Didn't even matter that the Jays scored seven runs. They, they didn't need seven runs that game. Two or three was going to cut it. Estrada was just incredible that game. Now we go to game six. Whew. Deep breaths all around because this one was as ugly a game as we've seen in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history it's not just that, that early on remember that fan taking that reaching over uh, batista's in right field the fan reaches over it's not a home run the fan catches it and somehow there's not enough evidence on replay to overturn it it's a mike mustakis home run that makes it two nothing kansas city early jays would come back and tie it whatever 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 but that still hurt 
top of the ninth inning, game six, Blue Jays are down four to three. Russell Martin against Wade Davis, their Kansas City closers in. Russell Martin base hit. They would pinch run Dalton Pompey. Dalton Pompey would steal second. Dalton Pompey would steal third. What a stud. What a stud. Now the tying run is a third, nobody out. Pilar walks. First and third, nobody out. Here comes De Deano Navarro. Now, Deano Navarro, the first pitch that Navarro faced was a hanging slider right down the middle from Wade Davis that I still have nightmares on. It just hung there, and Navarro took a huge, huge cut. He was trying to hit that thing 600 feet. Just missed it, fouled it off, strike one. Strike two was a foot outside. Home plate umpire Jeff Nelson. I, 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 I'm not a good enough person to be able to forgive him. He was atrocious, atrocious in this game. And in the ninth inning was just one of the worst jobs of, of umpiring I've ever seen in my entire life. Foot outside at strike two. Now the whole at bat is screwed. Navarro strikes out. Here comes Ben Revere. Now, as, as Navarro is striking out, Pilar steals second. So not only is the tying run at third now, one out, but the go-ahead run is at second. That run that could maybe even send this game, send the series into game seven is at second base now. One out. Here comes Ben Revere. The strike two call on Ben Revere. The Navarro strike two was a foot outside. The Ben Revere strike two was two feet outside. Like just inc Ben Revere left his feet. He literally jumped in disbelief. He could not believe it. And I remember saying to my, uh, I was watching this uh, at, at my my friends, uh, the, the the Neil brothers at their house at the time. Long time, long time good friends of mine. And I remember so just being devastated with that strike two call. And I walked up to the screen, this huge screen. I walked up to the screen. I said, anywhere down in here. Wade Davis is going to snap off an ugly slider right now. It's going to be nowhere close to the strike zone because he knows that Ben Revere is so shook right now. Ben Revere has no idea what a strike is right now because of this horrible home plate umpire. He's going to have to chase anything you throw up there. Wade Davis breaks off a nasty slider. It's way out of the strike zone. Poor Ben Revere doesn't have any choice but to chase it. Swing and a miss, strike three. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now that tying run at third with nobody out is that tying run at third with two out. Here comes Josh Donaldson. He would end up grounding out to Mike Moustakis. The rest is history. I always joke that I think to this day, Dalton Pompey, I think he's still to this day standing on third base waiting to be driven in. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We will soon know the results of the Built Bar March Madness contest. My vote was salted caramel. Now, one locked-on fan going to win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built Bars or Puffs delivered monthly straight to their door. You got to try Built. Built, the best protein bar ever. Seriously, so they taste so good. You're going to keep checking to make sure that they're actually good for you. They are. Now, what makes Built Bars and Puffs so good? Well, for starters, high in protein, low in sugar, covered in 100% real chocolate. Wow, that's right, real chocolate. Enjoy a Built protein bar or puff today. Now, in our third and final segment here on Locked On Blue Jays, going to deep dive what I think is one of the most incredible plays in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. Certainly, at least in my opinion, one of the most underrated plays in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history, and it involves Buck Martinez. I thought it'd be a great time to tell this story as Buck spent part of 17 seasons on the big league level, while the first eight were with Kansas City and the last six were with Toronto. So skin in the game for both of these franchises for Buck Martinez. Now, how could he have spent 17 seasons on the big league level when he was a career 225 hitter? My goodness. Well, defense was his calling card. Very good game caller as well. Very, very intelligent between the years, right, Buck? Buck Martinez when it comes to baseball. This particular play comes in the 1985 season. So you remember that uh, Buck was the right-handed hitting catcher that would face left-handed hitting pitchers. He platooned Ernie Witt was the left-handed hitting catcher that faced the right-handed pitchers. This particular game, Seattle starting a lefty, so here's Buck Martinez. 
Now, this is right in the middle of the season. Blue Jays are 50 and 32. They're, they're authoring the best season in franchise history. That 1985 season would, uh, the, the Blue Jays would win 99 games. They've never really even come close to that in, in going forward. Hopefully this season, right, of course. But in the middle of authoring the, the best season they've ever had, we thought going into that game that the story of that game was going to be Blue Jays starter Tom Filer, who is pitching on the big league level for the first time in three years. But Buck Martinez would become the story. Bottom of the third inning. Phil Bradley is the leadoff man. He gets on base for Seattle. Now, we need to note, Phil Bradley was about 6'2". He's about 200 pounds. Now, he was a football star growing up, but deemed to be you know a little bit too, too small to play football professionally. But football star, so he knows how to give and take hits, but in particular, he knows how to give hits. That's relevant in the story here. That comes up in a minute here. Now, so he's on first. Uh, Tom Filer actually box him over to second, and the batter is Stormin' Gorman Thomas. Uh, the name says it all, right? Stormin' Gorman Thomas. He's 6'2". He's about 220, 230. He's a mountain of a man, especially back in back in the 80s, right? Stormin' Gorman Thomas was he was a two-time home run champ. Like, whatever you're picturing, when you hear the name Stormin' Gorman Thomas, big, huge uh, uh, mustache, handlebar mustache as well. Like, whatever you're picturing, yeah, that was Stormin' Gorman Thomas. He's up to the plate. Shoots a base head out to right field. Jesse Barfield's out in right field. Now, in fact, Jesse Barfield with that cannon arm had, had ended the previous inning by throwing out a runner, but still Seattle, hey, they're running on him. Okay, because Bradley's rounding third. He's coming to the plate. Jesse Barfield unleashes a, an absolute blazer like he always did. He had a cannon on that right arm to the plate. Now, the throw takes Buck up the third baseline a little bit. Buck Martinez, when he catches it, he's pretty much in the batter's box for the right-handed hitter. Here comes Phil Bradley, former football player, knows how to deliver a hit, smashes Buck Martinez. Buck goes flying backwards. Only problem, his cleat on, on, his, on his leg got stuck in the ground, and so as his whole body's going backwards, that leg was staying right there. Oh, my goodness. Right in that moment, it's a, it's a broken fibula and a dislocated ankle for Buck Martinez. Now, he holds on to the ball, so the base runner is actually out. Pete, sorry, uh, uh, Storm and Gorman Thomas, the base runner, he's gone to second on the throw and he's kept running. And now he can see uh, Buck is down. So he's kept running to third now. Buck seated, one leg completely mashed. See his field of view, he can see Gorman Thomas running from second to third. So he tries to throw him out at third. He, he whips the ball from, from the seated position. One leg whips it down to Garth Orge at third. You can imagine the throw is way off, of course. Goes skipping into left field. Storm and Gorman Thomas now coming around the plate to score. George Bell retrieves the ball on left field, throws it perfectly to Buck, one hopper to, to Buck lying on the ground with one leg. Buck catches it, and Storm and Gorman Thomas, 6'2", about, about 220, 230. He could have done just incredible damage to Buck if he wanted to in that moment. If he wanted to initiate a second collision, oh boy, it would have been so ugly. As he's coming to the plate, though, he can see the peril that Buck is in. So now he becomes almost like, like a huge ballerina. He's trying to tiptoe around Buck. He pretty much just gives himself up. It's pretty much just sportsman and, and gives himself up. It could have been so much, so much uglier. His teammates right after the play would have to lift Buck and carry him off. Oh my gosh, just, just a horrific injury. But the and incredibly, if you're like me and you like to score the games, think about that now. So that's a, a nine, two, seven, two double play. Right field to catcher, to left field to catcher, double play. When have you ever seen that? One of the great memories, one of the great plays in Toronto Blue Jay history. That, that wraps up Monday's Locked on Blue Jays. As per usual, I want to thank you for spending part of your day talking Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. If you're like me, you're a fantasy baseball fan as well, then keep it on the Locked on Network and check out the Locked on Fantasy Baseball as well. And we'll see you tomorrow.